pay. Right. When they came here, they were surprised, like, they have to pay for the food and everything. So they don't really know what they're signing up for, then? To be very honest, not all of it, because many of the contracts are written in Mandarin, and I always ask, do you see the English translation? And unfortunately, they do have, but maybe didn't read everything, because contract would entail you to read a lot of pages, I suppose. Mm, a lot of legal talk. But this kind of tough experience is far from being universal for Filipinos living in Taiwan. Next week, Jem will share her own story about how she came here and talk about the good she sees in Taiwan. We'll hear about solidarity in Taiwan's Filipino community and hear just how much closer Taiwan and the Philippines have become in just the past few years. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Victor Berglund is a former investment banker turned sustainability advisor slash impact investor based in Hong Kong. It became even more evident that he would rather focus on sustainability issues and the environment when he became a father in 2019 and he wants what's best for his child. He agreed with me when I told him how I've interviewed many Taiwanese young people who have great ideas for sustainability or whatever, but it most often boiled down to where the funding was going to come from for their projects. Today, Victor begins by talking about what he has observed about the startup scene in Taiwan. If you see that on the startup community that we have here, there's quite a lot of events going on, workshops and even large-scale conferences. You know, we have said uh, Meet Taipei and um, Innovex is, is coming up. But similar to how you did it on the um, electronic, consumer electronic side, where, you know, Computech is one of the biggest that we have in Asia, it's important to not view these um, conferences as simple MICE events, that Taiwan is just a host for these events, but rather see that how can we make a long-lasting impact locally here. You know, we, we cannot just have great companies coming by here and holding presentations and yeah. inspire people. We need to see that how can we make a, a, a local f- footprint out of this. The whole sort of conversation cannot die down just because there's no conference going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's really, again, there's an effort that requires very broad support in the society from a number of entities. Uh, but I definitely think that's something that Taiwan can do and, and, and should do. That's why we've got people like you. <laughs> yeah, uh, we all have our role to play. Okay. Do you have any success stories to share as a sustainability advisor? If you look at the SDGs as, as such, they are quite broad, where by clean water and sanitation, goal number six, there's a clear technology angle to that, right? How can we, how can we sort of clean up our oceans and rivers and lakes um, in, a, in a scalable and you know, cost-efficient manner. That's something that re- definitely requires equipment of some sort. And technology is going to play a big part here. But then there are other goals, for instance, on gender equality, which could be facilitated through technology, obviously, through, ed- oh. through, through educating people about you know, the benefits of, of gender equality. But at the same time, if you look at countries typically in developing markets, um, where young girls aren't allowed to go to school, 
mm. as an example. The reason why they aren't allowed to go to school is not because we don't have the technology to facilitate that. Instead, you, we need to look at other obstacles to that, which can, you know, it can be culture issues. Oh, yeah, tradi- that's tra- all I tradition. Can think of. Yeah, I mean, tra- tradition plays a big part in, in certain countries around this. The overall situation as well, where a lot of a lot of young girls and women, for that matter, they they have to work from a very early age. So that's the typical area where technology is not the problem. So okay. for me, because you know we have technology is not the reason why girls can't go to school in certain countries. So if you talk about the success of what we're doing, I mean, we see a lot of great um, research coming out from the partners that we work with. Talking about water, I personally uh, work with a project right now um, which offers technology on water purification for enclosed water bodies. So typically um, lakes, reservoirs, and ponds. So fresh water as opposed to cleaning oceans. This is on fresh water. And that becomes the strategic issue because for a lot of countries, obviously, you need to have access to clean fresh water. Mm-hmm. So the counterparties here are uh, government or utility companies normally mm-hmm. on both sort of a local and provincial state level up to a national level. But you know, it's always hard to get through to the government on issues like this. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, this is one of the challenges of, of dealing with so many stakeholders that you need to maneuver it in a, in a very careful way. But this is obviously something that applies to both sort of OECD economies and also developing markets, emerging markets around the world they all tend to see the benefit of having access to clean water. It's less sensitive politically, and it's something that is sort of universally accepted, that yes, ah. we need access to it. However, yeah. mm-hmm. if I would go into certain countries and say that um, I really think it's the time for you to you know, take the necessary steps to allow more young girls go to school, that is something that could face resistance in certain communities. Yes, for a variety of reasons. So then obviously, you know, you have to you have to uh, use a very different approach mm-hmm. um, and present them with a compelling proposal and, and see how you can convince them step by step. Normally, we would see, though, that if we can solve one problem, for instance, on access to clean water in certain countries, that would free up time for young girls and women to spend less time walking hours every day to a to well get water, to get yeah. water. And perhaps it would be possible for them to use some of that time mm-hmm. to go to school for a few hours at yes. least. Or do something that would allow them to empower themselves, which mm-hmm. we, you know, in every single case, we see that that's beneficial to the community, mm. getting women into the workforce. Mm. Um, not because it's the right thing to do or because it's the fair thing to do, but because it has and tremendously positive impact for the community in terms of everything, yeah. you know, growth to the very least. Oh, wow. We've touched on so many issues and there's still a lot of global issues that need to be resolved, but I just don't know where to start. Every single one of them, especially those 17, you know, SDGs, they are very important. And I think the UN has, has touched on the most basic ones. And if only every country can see that and see the importance of that. It sounds philosophical almost, but we, you know, you have to ask yourself, what kind of future do we want for ourselves? And what's the sort of, what's humanity going to look like for the next few generations? And what we're trying to do here is at least to say that there is an enormous amount of challenges ahead of us. Um, you know, the SDGs, uh, the sub goals under SDGs, you know, they, they have a whole number of, of, of issues to address, obviously. Um, but we're, we're, we're making it very clear, though, that today we are fully convinced that we have access to technology, at least, that can address all of them. 
technology, the lack or the lack thereof is not the problem here. So you think technology is the solution to most of these issues? It's not the solution as as such, but it's definitely a facilitator to a lot of the the uh, the SDGs. Uh, but far more so, we're saying that the reason why we cannot tackle some of these SDGs is because of, you know, the technology isn't there. That's not the case. The technology is there for every single one of them. But instead, like I mentioned... They're not know, being used properly. They're not used being properly, and they may not be deployed to the extent that they should be. Obviously, you know, legal issues around some, you know, some, some patents sure. and so on and so forth. But uh, what you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, funding is definitely a problem for a lot of these uh, SDGs, and they are enormously complex in nature. You know, don't get me wrong about that. But at the same time, we see that, like to, to go back to the example about um, you know women and, and young girls um, having to to work instead of going to school, that's a typical situation which is not happening because we don't have technology to fix it. Technology in that sort of um, context perhaps plays the smallest role. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Well, you seem to bring up this issue quite a lot. Is that one of your major concern? You're thinking about how you can help some of the countries to overcome this. You want to become I don't know, an influencer for some of the countries. Well, I mean, I have worked on um, government advisory for a number of countries, uh, trade and economic policy um, formations. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so I've seen that sort of the inner works of that. It's, it's definitely a frustrating process sometimes, and mm-hmm. it's a difficult process because you have to be, go on and be very diplomatic about it. But I, I do feel that we can do a lot better than what we're doing today. And I would say that reaching the SDGs before the year 2030, which is which is the sort of the deadline, quote-unquote, uh-huh. um, is, of course, a monumentous task. Yes. But it doesn't change the fact that we should give it a, give it a go. Okay. And I think that what's important here when we look at it from an inv- impact investment perspective is that nothing that we do is surety. Everything has a clear commercialization uh, process to it. And for all the research that we find and validate, there's a clear application for it. And that's very important here to make it work, to make it scalable, to show both corporates and impact investment uh, investors that there's a clear case on this from an investment perspective. The returns are there, and they are very decent. You're looking at sort of you know mid-teens IRR, right? So it's mm-hmm. above 10% IRR on a lot of, as a minimum. And it's, it's a big transition where we see the technology and uh, you know policy making as, as well, of course. Um, has made a lot of cases that weren't feasible a year ago, they are feasible now. To give an example, in Taiwanese sort of setting, um, in 2010, I worked with a company here. Um, well, we, we came here to Taiwan to look at the deployment of offshore wind farms. And at that time, it was perhaps not the right time. We were a bit early on this one. Um, because it was it required a lot of um, subsidies and other types of sort of you know government yeah, government subsidies to really make it work and even on that basis the returns weren't super attractive but now you will see that offshore wind farms are gaining a lot of traction here in Taiwan and yes. Taiwan has positioned itself as a country that making a big push for this alongside perhaps South Korea but this is a typical example where we're saying that it wasn't doable perhaps or it wasn't interesting enough a decade ago but it is interesting now. Yeah. And far more so, it's it's not only interesting of saying, well, I don't make a lot of money on it, but I'm you know, I, I leave a, a I reduce 
carbon emissions and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But we can see that this alone, take away the social good aspect of it, it still looks attractive on the pure financial basis. Well, we've been talking about all these hardcore <laughs> issues and topics. So let's kind of like tone down a little bit here. What do you like about Taiwan? I think there's a lot of there's a lot of great things about Taiwan. Every time you know me and my wife and and, and my son come back here, we always have a good time. Um, not only because we have relatives here, but um, it, it's a really nice break from Hong Kong, perhaps especially over the, what's going on yeah. at the moment. One thing that always strikes me here is the sort of the, the friendliness of mm-hmm. people here, mm-hmm. and and I always feel naive as I may be that there's a very <laughs> genuine kindness here. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that. The smiles that I that I get here are, you know, genuine. Genuine. <laughs> I like to hope so at least. Um, and we always enjoy, um, you know, the the food. And uh, I think for me, being raised in Europe, seeing the the landscape here, being you know closer to nature in a way, is always something that I appreciated w- w- with Taiwan. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great variety from um, from you know the mountains here up north down to some of the beaches in the south. And me and my wife are definitely seeing Taiwan as, as a country where we um, you know, would probably settle down at some point in time. Okay. You're most uh, welcome. <laughs> thank you very much. I mean, I also think that, that for, you know, for a kid, it would be a great place to, to grow up. He can roam around more freely than he can in, in Hong Kong, where more cramped environment. Great. Um, but overall, I think it's, you know, it's, it's always a very positive experience coming back. And I think that, you know, going forward, probably starting next year with some of the projects that I have going on, we're going to spend more and more time here, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Victor. Um, you have a great heart. I think um, that's why you switched from being an investment banker to what you're doing now. And uh, I think you have a great heart for just the environment, the people, your family, and so you have um, all these things that that you're thinking ahead of you. That's um, that's putting you in motion, in you know, kind of like helping to go in the direction that's good for the world. Gosh, we're talking like you're a world leader or something. <laughs> but anyway, but you are. Now it's, it's yeah, it's really about. Um you know, making small steps here and there. And, sure. uh, you know, the, one one of the benefits of having doing what I'm doing is uh, bringing together brilliant people who are very inspirational is, is a reward in itself. And it's something I really enjoy, similar to what you were doing with your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's such a common phrase where it just be some, be their voice. Okay. So I hope that this platform can be just their voice. I mean, we actually touched a lot of difficult big issues and problems here but it takes like not giving up and even if it's just counting on you yourself alone you have to believe in yourself that no matter how small steps you're making it's an impact and it takes people like you okay insignificant you to keep doing and believing what you're doing and then when you attract a whole lot of other people with the same mindset that's how we can start making some really big impacts in the world. It makes perfect sense. And I mean, obviously, a large part of what I do is bringing together people who are far smarter than I am. And, you know, getting... <laughs> You're very humble. Well, getting brilliant people in the same room, get them to talk. And that's really perhaps where it's more my turn to take a step back mm-hmm. and let them do their thing, meet okay. and greet, and try to then to sort of bring the best out of that conversation. And it is amazing. Like you say, you bring, you know, a few smart people together in a room. Usually, great things tend to happen. Yes, that is right. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing, Victor. Don't give up. 
whatever convictions you have and what you're thinking of doing. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you, Hurley. Classic shorts, stories from Chinese history and literature. Utopia is it possible? Well, the Chinese think so, and in their imagination, this place is lined with peach blossoms. There is a very famous poet, Wang Wei, who was a musician, painter, and politician during the Tang Dynasty. He was one of the most famous men of arts and letters of his time. He wrote a poem that gives us a glimpse into the Chinese idea of utopia, and I thought that'd be a good way to start the year. It's called a song of Peach Blossom River. Fisherman is drifting, enjoying the spring mountains, and the peach trees on both banks lead him to an ancient source. Watching the fresh-colored trees, he never thinks of distance. Till he comes to the end of the blue stream, and suddenly, strange men. It's a cave with a mouth so narrow that he has to crawl through. But then it opens wide again on a broad and level path, and far beyond he faces clouds crowning a reach of trees, and thousands of houses shadowed round with flowers and bamboos. Woodsmen tell him their names in the ancient speech of Han, and clothes of the Qing Dynasty are worn by all these people, living on the uplands above the Uling River, on farms and in gardens that are like a world apart. Their dwellings at peace under pines in the clear moon. Until sunrise fills the low sky with crowing and barking. At news of a stranger, the people all assemble, and each of them invites him home, and asks him where he was born. Alleys and paths are cleared for him, of petals in the morning, and fishermen and farmers bring him their loads at dusk. They had left the world long ago. They had come here seeking refuge. They have lived like angels ever since, blessedly far away. No one in the cave knowing anything outside. Outsiders viewing only empty mountains and thick clouds. The fisherman, unaware of his great good fortune, begins to think of country, of home, 
of worldly ties, finds his way out of the cave again, past mountains and past rivers, intending some time to return. When he has told his kin, he studies every step he takes, fixes it well in mind, and forgets that cliffs and peaks may vary their appearance. It is certain that to enter through the deepness of the mountain, a green river leads you into a misty wood. But now, with spring floods everywhere and floating peach petals, which is the way to go to find that hidden source? Wang Wei paints a very famous portrait. Of the Chinese utopia. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts, and Happy New Year. I'm Natalie So. Listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. Happy New Year! Out with the old, in with the new. Every year, the presidential office designs New Year's cards using the Chinese zodiac sign for that year. Let's find out the new design for 2020. The year 2020 will be the year of the rat. President Tsai Ing-wen has chosen a card that is coral red, a nod to the fact that Taiwan is an island country. The rat designs on the cover are in gold, a sign of prosperity, while the rat is a symbol of wisdom. 
On the cover, the Chinese character for rat replaces a similar-sounding word in the idiom, one of the very best. This is President Tsai's wish for Taiwan in the coming year. Vice President Chen Jianren also has a specially designed card for the new year. It features a traditional Taiwanese window cut with the shape of rats and a copper coin, an invitation for wealth and good fortune to enter in the new year. The presidential office has also created e-cards. The president's e-card shows Taiwan's mountain ranges turning into a forward-moving force to bring success and wealth in the new year. The vice president's e-card repeats the retro metal window design and features the address 2020 Happiness Lane, a hopeful destination for Taiwan in the year of the rat. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Taiwanese performing group One Song Orchestra held a New Year's Day concert at the National Concert Hall. This is the first time that the orchestra has performed at the venue. One Song Orchestra is a group founded in 2017 with a focus on Taiwan. It performs music written by Taiwanese composers as well as pieces that feature Taiwanese elements. On New Year's Day, the orchestra will perform a program including music from Taiwan's indigenous Paiwan people. A singer from the southern county of Pingdong will sing songs of prayer and songs about get-togethers. Taiwan's leading Peking opera performer. Huang Yulin will be part of the show too, and Taiwanese opera singer Tang Meiyun will be there to perform some traditional music. The orchestra's music director Li Zhiyi says he hopes that the upcoming concert will make Taiwanese people proud of their own music and their own culture. Li says the orchestra is planning to invite world-class musicians to play this Taiwanese music. Taiwan sits on shaky ground. Every year there are earthquakes here. Both big and small. In addition to measuring the size of earthquakes with the usual magnitude scale, Taiwan also has a scale of its own used to measure shaking intensity. On January 1st, this scale got a big overhaul. In the moments after an earthquake hits Taiwan, people flood the internet with searches for how powerful the shaking was. They often get two answers: the earthquake's magnitude, familiar to people around the world, and also the earthquake's local intensity. News reports will list affected areas and give each a number from one to seven based on how intensely the ground shook there. It's used by the Central Weather Bureau and found only in Taiwan. Crudely speaking, you'll feel a three and worry about a four or five. Anything bigger than that, and you might find yourself in big trouble. But the scale isn't perfect. For instance, five and six on the scale are both much broader than the other intensities, and so calling an earthquake a five or a six doesn't really tell people much. The director of the Central Weather Bureau's Seismological Center, Chen Guochang, says that fives can be a disaster, but often aren't. To remedy this problem, the Central Weather Bureau will roll out a revamped version of the scale on January 1st. Levels five and six will be split in half. There will be five weak, five strong, six weak, and six strong. With the new system, alerts and reports can more accurately convey how big an earthquake is. Hopefully, the new categories won't have to be used that often. John Van Trieste, RTI News. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. In Taiwan, the word "foreigner" 
used to refer mostly to North Americans and Europeans, but official statistics show that the largest groups of new immigrants are from China and Vietnam, while the biggest group of migrant workers is from Indonesia. In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to give you a quick overview of Taiwan's foreign-born population. And you might be surprised to learn that the average foreigner in Taiwan does not look like this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Andrew, we have 60 seconds on the clock. Ready? All right. Go. First of all, how many immigrants and foreigners and their descendants live in Taiwan? Right now, about 1.7 million people out of about 24 million people. Now, the largest group of foreigners in Taiwan is migrant workers. Right now, there's about 716,000 of them, largely from Thailand, the Philippines, Vietnam, and especially from Indonesia. Like these fishermen I met in Jilong, they do jobs that are deemed to be dangerous, dirty, and difficult, like construction, manufacturing, and taking care of the elderly. Now, the migrant worker population is the most marginalized of all foreigners in Taiwan. The second largest group is the new immigrants. Right now, there's about 550,000. The vast majority are women who came by marriage, mostly from China, like these hairstylists I met in Shinju. And finally are the new Taiwanese children of immigrants. Uh, about 500,000 of them, mostly with a Chinese or Vietnamese parent. About 5% are like Tsai Xin Li on the left, whose mom is from Indonesia. Nice job, Andrew. Thanks, Natalie. I do have one more sentence. Okay. Right now, about 8% of newborn babies in Taiwan have one foreign parent or more. Oh, that's great. All right. So thank you, Andrew. And that is our Taiwan Explained for the week. Talking about new immigrants, a study by National Taiwan Normal University in Taipei has shown that children of new immigrants tend to show a higher level of creativity and imagination than children of two Taiwanese parents. Researchers from National Taiwan Normal University's Department of Educational Psychology and Counseling carried out a study from 2014 funded by the Ministry of Science and Technology. The team performed close observation and analysis on the various parameters of 1,491 new immigrant students and 4,665 students of local parents. They found that despite having to adapt to a new environment, the kids of new immigrants showed a higher level of creativity and were able to come up with more unique and flexible solutions. They also demonstrated a higher level of curiosity, imagination, and sense of adventure. The analysis concluded that these students' creativity is rooted in their more diverse cultural exposure. The researchers believe these students benefit from the Medici effect, that's a term that describes innovation that takes place when different disciplines intersect. The team furthered their research in 2015 with a custom-designed multicultural course. They found that the students who took the six-week course displayed improved academic performance and stronger creativity. This was the first-ever research to demonstrate that the implementation of multiculturalism in education is correlated with improved performance. The research team said they are looking at the possibility of implementing such courses in school curricula. Jake Chen, RTI News. And finally, we have a story about Taiwan's immigrant workers helping to clean up Taiwan's beaches. The weekend is a great time to escape to the beach and relax. However, there's one group of people at the beach who are still hard at work. They're crouched over in crevices, picking up trash. Who are they? They're a group of migrant workers from Indonesia who are selflessly dedicating their weekends to clean Taiwan's beaches. 
This unassuming lady here is Maya. She founded the Universal Volunteer Group on Facebook two years ago, and the group has slowly expanded. The group fills dozens of garbage bags worth of plastic bottles in a day, and even a little rain won't stop them. Some are saying these immigrants love Taiwan more than Taiwanese people. Can you blame them? Another group of immigrants in Taichung also dedicate their time to cleaning Lü Chuan Canal. No one can deny that these immigrant workers are making Taiwan a better place. Leslie Liao, RTI News. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist, in which we introduce you to the presidential office New Year's card, the New Year's Day concert, the new earthquake intensity scale, and the Taiwan's new immigrants. This is Paula Chow. See you next week. Bye-bye. The idea is to see how we can better strengthen. I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm very proud because we managed to sign this uh, working holiday arrangement last year. And it has the technology and Papua New Guinea has more abundant natural resources and opportunities for investment. Hello and welcome to Online featuring The Year in Review. I'm Carlson Wong and today we take a look back at segments of some of the important interviews that you may have missed in 2019. We begin with a part of the interview with former Brazilian representative to Taiwan, Mr. Fabio Franco, who has been assigned to the post of the ambassador in an African country now. We have developed several activities, for example, uh, of course there's official activity, several uh, congressmen have come here. We have uh, promoted this activity from uh, the official point of view, many, many delegations, official delegations, but there's also the academic. My wife is an academic and uh, we, we have had academic delegations, we have had students here. We always try to get the students together uh, in, in our houses. Like you said, uh, the sporting activities and uh, many uh, businessmen. And so there are many types of activities that we have promoted uh, throughout these years that try to get Brazilians and Taiwanese together. Uh, cultural, even uh, uh, my wife was able to uh, bring, for example, a great singer from Brazil. Her name is Ellen Oleria. Another time we opened our cultural corner inside of uh, uh, the commercial office of Brazil in which uh, a very famous group called Sururu na Roda came and we you know, have a, had a big uh, cocktail party with uh, over 150 people to promote this kind of culture. That was Mr. Fabio Franco, the former Brazilian representative. And our next interview is with the German representative, Dr. Thomas Prince, who talks about Germany being the guest of honor at the 2019 Taipei International Book Exhibition. Germany is, this year is a uh, guest of honor. By the way, this is for the second time. 20 years ago, we were the first guest of honor of the book fair here in uh, Taipei. And we are happy to be back now. It's for us the most important cultural event this year here in Taiwan. And uh, it's organized by the Goethe Institute and by the Frankfurt Book Fair, book fair in cooperation with uh, TIBE here in Taipei. 
we bring in 13 authors from Germany, uh, quite a number of publishers, the CEO of the Frankfurt Book Fair, which is the biggest book fair in the world, will also mm -hmm. be here for the opening on the 12th of February. So it's um, a big show we are organizing together with uh, our hosts here in Taipei. And next is Mr. Ralph Fry, the former Swiss representative to Taiwan and is currently posted in Hong Kong. He talked about how he tried to increase interaction in science and technology between Taiwan and Switzerland. That's also uh, something I promote by uh, bringing people from research uh, uh, institutions in Switzerland uh, with people from the research institution here in, in, in Taiwan. So I see my role also in building bridges in, in, in this field, in, in science and technology, in order also, of course, then uh, to promote the cooperation in innovation. Yes. Yeah, during the last years, uh, I, as I said, I'm, I'm happy to see that uh, the visitors from Taiwan increased by uh, 30%. So we are very happy to see so many people from Taiwan come to Switzerland and discover our country. And our next segment of an interview is with an Israeli expert in cyber technology, Professor Israel Ben Israel. Some of the uh, things we did in Israel are maybe unique to Israel because we have a different uh, system. But some of them are universal. And those universal lessons can be applied uh, everywhere by anyone. For example, um, uh, one universal attribute of cybersecurity is that the rate of change is so fast that you can never uh, predict what will be the next threat. And therefore, you have to be prepared in a more, uh, in a deeper way to meet threats that were not predicted before, that you couldn't uh, uh, prepare yourself for them. And this can be done only by having the right ecosystem. It's a full ecosystem. Uh, the main base for this ecosystem is, of course, human beings, uh, educated human beings. And our next guest is Ms. Kwan Pai Chen, the founder of a Zero Waste Fashion brand, who talks about her idea of promoting zero waste fashion. Sustainable fashion is quite broad, so I try to define myself which category is more suitable for me. So there is, um, you know, organic is a part of sustainable fashion, fair trade as well. And for zero waste, it's more like making, it's an um, upcycle design. So I try to do something that is made, made of waste. So I think that is something that I'm also good at retail, marketing, and also design. Initially, I was just thinking that I should make something out of uh, make, not, not making new things anymore. I want to make something from the waste. Mr. Tommy Kunji, the representative of Papua New Guinea, talks about the bilateral trade relations. Yeah, well, actually, in 2013, the bilateral trade volumes between Taiwan and Papua New Guinea was uh, less than US 100 million. And then in 2014, we started exporting LNG and then the the trade volumes rose to about US 400 million. And in 2015, it reached about 900 million. Currently, we are at well over a billion US dollars. That's so, the trade volume. And uh, Taiwan currently is the fifth largest trading partner for Papua New Guinea after Australia, Japan, China, and uh, Singapore. We hope to promote more 
trade and investment because uh, mm-hmm. Taiwan is an indispensable part of the global sub- supply chain and it has the technology and Papua New Guinea has more ab- abundant natural resources and opportunities for investments. Judge Ken Starr from the U.S. talks about religious freedom in China. He's known for heading an investigation of members of the Clinton administration in the U.S. The West flourishes when there's religious freedom. We've known this for centuries. So there's absolutely no reason why, in my judgment, any society, regardless of language and culture, cannot in fact prosper, enjoy peace and security by allowing individuals to live out their own lives consistent with the tenets of of their faith. I think it is a fundamental misunderstanding of human history to try to repress religious expression and religious belief. It is doomed to fail. And thus, I hope that the Chinese government will see the wisdom of freedom works for everyone. Religious freedom works for everyone. It is a source of solidarity and social stability, not of social unrest. Luxembourg and Taiwan signed a working holiday agreement which went into effect in January 2019, and Ms. Tanya Bersham, the Luxembourg representative, talks about the significance of the pact. I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm very proud because we managed to sign this uh, working holiday arrangement last year. So we implemented it uh, January 1st uh, uh, this year. And I, th- I think the program is fantastic because uh, it uh, allows uh, young people aged between uh, 18 and 30 to spend one year in uh, in my beautiful country, uh, either for tourism, studies or even um, temporary employment. Uh, you know, as, as the title of the program is Working Holiday, so holiday is quite important too. And as Luxembourg is located in the, in the heart of Europe, so you know, you can easily travel to other European uh, countries, yes. European uh, capitals, and to live also, you know, as we call it, the European, uh, the European idea. And uh, not to forget that... Um, uh, Luxembourg will introduce uh, from March next year on public transportation for free. Palau became the world's first shark sanctuary. How did they do it? Let's hear from the ambassador, Palau ambassador Demel O'Carroll. The the marine sanctuary really works. Uh, you can see by the number of sharks, Palau. Is now also famous for its uh, shark, not just the jellyfish, but mm-hmm. the, the shark. Uh, divers can see a lot of sharks now. Uh, Apart the, from jellyfish. Right, and uh, the shark finning, fins uh, fishing, or fishermen who uh, are getting the shark for their fins is, uh, I think, very rare now. Before, when I was uh, in Palau, the marine, um, uh, our boat would catch this fishing boat with a lot of uh, fish fins. Mm-hmm. But now uh, it's rare. It's very rare to catch this. Uh, so I know it's uh, this uh, with the help of uh, Australian government and Japan and now Taiwan and US. You know, you see, I hardly hear about uh, them catching a uh, fishing boat that has uh, shark fins. 
Mr. Mike De Pulford, the president of Arise Foundation, talks about how his foundation combats human trafficking. We want to do something about the global problem of modern slavery and human trafficking, which is estimated to affect more than 40 million people worldwide. Uh, not enough is done by governments. Not enough is done by civil society to address this problem. We have people who are living in situations of forced labour. We have people who are trafficked uh, for sex, for their bodies, and we have organ trafficking and many other types of crime, which all go under this banner of human trafficking and modern slavery, which is a, a real issue. Um, so we wanted to do something about that, and we wanted to make sure that we were doing something powerful and meaningful. So we set up the foundation to work with people who are at the front line of this issue, people who are working with those who are suffering um, in countries of origin, but also with the governments and with countries who want to do something about the problem in places where the issue is worse. So, for example, your government here in Taiwan is extremely good at supporting other countries who are suffering with the problem uh, much more. Mr. George Sassin, the president of the Association of Industries of Haiti with around 100 manufacturers in Haiti, hopes to attract more Taiwanese investment. This is a part, first of all, it's a, it's a business led by my, myself, I'm in the private sector. But in my delegation, we have two members of the president's office and also the chief editor of Haiti's largest newspaper. Of course, I have business people with me also. So the idea is to see how we can better strengthen the relationship between Haiti and Taiwan. Uh, for too long, it has been government and to government. Uh, and today we have the, uh, four Taiwanese companies in, in uh, Haiti, and we want to have a lot more companies invest in Haiti. And that's how the Haitian people will feel closer to Taiwan, because when things happen between governments, nobody knows about it. The embassy of St. Vincent and the Grenadines officially opened for business in October 2019. Ambassador Andrea Bowman, the ambassador, tells us how she hopes to promote her country in Taiwan. My plan is like what I'm doing here right now. Yes. <laughs> and also, we need to present ourselves visually. We need images of St. Vincent and the Grenadines to be projected throughout Taiwan. People need to see what St. Vincent the Grenadines has to offer, what St. Vincent the Grenadines is about. People need to hear what St. Vincent the Grenadines is about. Mm -hmm. And of course, our students themselves, they are wonderful advertisements. Former Israeli representative Mr. Asher Yarden tells us his experience being posted in Taiwan. My arrival here has started, a, uh, uh, for me, an experience that uh, uh, brings smile to my face and a lot of satisfaction. I'm talking about two dimensions that I think are important, the uh, work dimension as well as the personal di dimension. Work-wise, I think that it was the most satisfactory time I've ever had in my career of more than 32 years now with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Israel. And there are many reasons for that, but I can say that Taiwan is very unique, Taiwan is very special, and it's a great combination of all kinds of things that make it so challenging on the one hand to work in, but also very satisfying. 
And on the personal level, I can tell you that uh, we got to know a, uh, we, I'm referring to my family, we got to know a place that we had very little knowledge about uh, before we came here. That is both, you know, if I have to relate to Taiwan in four words, I would say beautiful island, beautiful people. And that was the year in review 2019. Thank you for listening. I'm Carlson Wong. I'll see you next winter. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.